Welcome back to another episode of the Pivot and Go podcast. Thank you for joining me on this fine day. You could be anywhere, but you're here with me today. Thank you for giving your time, and you're here for a reason and purpose. You're here for impact, and this guest today, one of the top leaders in all of leadership, Carrie Newhoff, is going to provide that directly to you. Carrie, coming from the great North Canada, a former lawyer turned pastor turned leader of leaders is going to take you on a journey to teach you how to be at your best at all times. Teaching you not about just how it's the time you spend off and the recharge you get, but it's how you efficiently spend your time on and burnout Burnout, we all feel burnout, but Carrie, he's got a formula, he's got a system for how to cure burnout. We're going to go into that and so much more. There's a nugget in here about your 150 people relationship. Trust me, you are not going to want to miss that one at the end of this, but you got to listen to the whole thing for all the context. So everybody buckle up, Carrie Newoff, here we go. the road, just pivot and go, pivot and go. Carrie Newoff, welcome to the Pivot and Go podcast. As you can see, for you guys watching this, I'm wearing my Roots hoodie straight from Canada. Carrie from We the North sent me a Roots t-shirt, which is the most comfy apparel that you can wear. Carrie, thank you for it is. Thank you for joining us from the Great North. How you doing, man? Straight out of the six, man. Straight, straight out of the six. Straight out of the six. So it's good to be with you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna start you off with a bang. Tell the audience something that most people don't necessarily know about you. You're this great leader, great author, just a, a voice of, of change and positivity. But what's something that most people don't know about you? Well, until now, almost nobody knew this about me. I had a really hard time getting a job when I was in my late 20s. Wow, late 20s. Uh, yeah. Late 20s. I so I had studied law. That was not a problem. I had lots of opportunity in law, was offered a lot of money to stay. But as a Christian, I felt called into ministry, and it was a real surprise. It came in the middle of my law school. I finished law, worked for a year in downtown Toronto, got called to the bar, went into seminary. And I wasn't sure I was going to go into congregational ministry, which in the end I ended up spending two decades in. And um, the denomination I was a part of had all these like little churches that were looking for students who would work for half the money. So I tried to get a job in Niagara, tried to get one in Toronto, tried to get one up in Georgian Bay, tried to get one um, in the GTA in like Northwest Toronto. And I think three or four times they all kind of said no. And I thought, oh, Okay. So maybe this isn't going to work out very well. It just, it just didn't work out. And then I found these three little churches about an hour straight north of Toronto that had mercy on me and took me in. And they only, I, I must have been terrible because <laughs> I won by one vote. There were two candidates and I won by one vote. Anyway, I've been here 26 years later and it became one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Uh, you know, for a season, one of the largest in the country in our former denomination. And so... Anyway, yeah, but I, I couldn't get a job if my life depended on it. Man, so, isn't that... Thank goodness that woman, Cora, by the way, her name's Cora. She told me she was the tie-breaking vote. <laughs> I don't know who voted against me, but I know that Cora, who's now like 90 years old, made me, like, allowed me to come up here. Every so. vote matters. You know what's cool, man? Every vote matters. How about that? Yeah, totally. How about that? That's, I mean, the way that God just puts you on the right path, you think you're going one direction, and that's the whole thing of one door closes... Most people stop, 
the mm-hmm. door shut, but four open, an entire beachfront patio overlooking the ocean or overlooking greater Toronto in the wintertime in the snow. But so much opportunity comes from when a door is shut, and that's what you've led to. And on this podcast, the Pivot and Go podcast, we talk about major life pivots. We bring on people who have been extremely successful in your own terms of the definition and talk about the pivot that they've gone through. Because we don't all just, nobody makes it, just starts, I'm at the top. But there's ways you get up there. Mm. Is, there is there a big life pivot that really stands out to you as, a, as the moment that is kind of a defining factor of how you're on the path trajectory you're on today? Well, to date, it was probably that move from law into ministry. Yeah. I had wanted to be a, a lawyer since I was like eight years old. So, you know, got into the law school of my dreams. It wasn't even yeah. like I had to settle for law schools. I got into the one I wanted to nice. go to. And it went really, really well. But then having this like sense of calling between first and second year into ministry was just so shocking and so surprising. I didn't even believe it. And, and then like walked away from what I thought and by many accounts was a promising career in law to go into seminary for what I had like no idea. (laughs) And then I would say the minor pivot, which could turn out becoming the major pivot was six years ago. I stopped leading a church day to day, went from being lead pastor to founding pastor so that I could focus on helping leaders. So, you know, now I do that full time. I have a company, a growing company, and we do podcasting and write books and all that stuff and, and maintain our website. And we're connecting with like a, like way more leaders than I ever imagined. So that was another big pivot. Yeah, you're underselling that too, by the way. Like people that I talk to and they tell them that I know Carrie, they're like, oh my gosh, that guy's amazing. I, I kid you not. Oh, that's because they don't know me. <laughs> they heard your podcast. They haven't been to my house. They don't know how it works. Since You know what? Since I was on your podcast, I've had at least 10 people stop me and say, I've I heard of you on the Carrie Newell podcast, or they hit me on Instagram and said that. So know that your impact. That is really cool. It is really cool. I know. It is really cool. I mean, it's really cool for me, but then it's to see like, hey, this pivot that you made is is going to have a much bigger impact on so many more people. And I know it's, I mean, people think of it's very scary to step into something new and make that change. And and as successful as you have been, and I throw that word success, it's just, it's whatever it means to people. It's not the followers. Yeah, it's sure. not the leader. It's not the, the people, the amount of people that you impact, but so there's also this balance, and I've been following you, stalking you on Instagram, and watching your cool trips you go on, and you're taking time away, and and it's just like, it's this constant, we have to be on all the time. I think the biggest thing that people are struggling with now in this world is burnout, and not just burnout, but mm-hmm. they don't have a plan for how to get their head above water. It's just do, 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 you wake up 20 years later, and where'd your life go? So I want to dive into the, the the topic of burnout and how to systematize it and how to really focus on keeping the most important the most important. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you're right because I do have, uh, you would say a much more balanced life. It's funny because I gave up on balance about 15 years ago because I did burn out and that pedal to the metal all through my 30s. So I spent a decade in university. I did history, then law, then theology. So 11 years later, you bounce out the other side, which with a whole bunch of degrees and you start at three small churches. So about a decade into my church leadership, that's when I burned out. And what was so weird is I wasn't leading half of what I lead today. 
Like it's so much bigger now. And yet I didn't have time for any hobbies. I, I was like just going all the time. And eventually my burnout happened this way. My body just said, that's it. We quit. We're on strike. Like you are pushing <laughs> your body way too hard. So your body is on strike. And I didn't declare a finish line. So my body did. And I burned out. And since that time, I've, I've found a whole other way to live. And it's, what's weird now is you're right. I am out on my boat a lot. I'm, uh, I have hobbies. I love to, you know, barbecue on the big green egg. Uh, I cycle. I'm at like 2,200 kilometers for the year, which is about maybe 14, 1,500 miles. So like I'm, I'm, I'm living a very different life and accomplishing way more. Mm. And even we're in book launch season. You know what that's like, David. Yeah. I said to my team today, I had a team meeting today. So we have about eight of us who are across North America. It's a virtual company. We were long before COVID. And I just said, you know, this is so restful compared to previous book launches. I would almost like not know, by the way, I feel on the inside that there's a book launching in a few days. And they said, um, like, they're busy, but they're not stressed. Like nobody is being splattered like a bug on the windshield. And this book is doing better than any book I've released before. So it's charting really well on Amazon. There's been a great early release to it. So it's that weird thing where you're doing less, but accomplishing more. And I think that's possible for everybody. So, uh, you know, that's why I wrote the book is I want to help people get there and get time, energy and priorities working for them, not against them. Oh, I love this. There's a lot to lot to unpack here. So I'm going to play devil's advocate in one point. But before that, as far as busy, but not stressed. I love that. That's what I call the Jesus pace. He got so much done, hmm. but the dude was just chilling. He'd walk from town to town. Anybody that came into him, he had so much time for him, but he got so much done. So what you are living out is that Jesus pace. And there's a quote that I got your book last night, and I've just been tearing through it this morning and last night. And there's a quote that stuck out to me is what we're hitting on right now, what this world's going through is you don't need an enemy to interrupt you. You have one. <laughs> It's a perpetually distracted you. There's so many distractions coming on. And when you're saying, hey, I got time for my boat. I see you cycling. I see you cooking up a storm. But what about the people who are like, oh, well, Kerry's already at the top. I mean, he's doing great. He's had books sell. Like, how do people live like that who aren't necessarily already, quote, unquote, proverbial made it? So let's start with um, some basic math. And this is something I learned anecdotally, like through experience about 15 years ago. And science has confirmed that it's true. But you're really only on about three to five hours a day. So people yeah. say like the caveman lifestyle, people are like, I had someone leave a comment on my social or something this week. And they were like, you know what? Like, uh, life isn't as busy as it was in caveman days. People think, at least people I've read, I don't know whether it was Yuval Harari, whoever, it's like <laughs> cavemen only worked about 20 hours a week. Like that was it, right? Like you're not out hunting bison all the time and then you catch a big woolly mammoth and like, you know, you can feast for days. So they, they had a pretty relaxed lifestyle. Um, you were not designed to run in the red day in and day out. Like, you know, eventually if you do that to a car, if you're redlining your car, you're going to burn out the engine and you're certainly going to run out of gas at some point. Humans are wired the same way. And we live under this myth, David, where we just think, no, I defy the limits that the key to success is I just have to work more hours, longer, harder than everybody else. Can I give you a story I, I rarely ever tell? Please. 
Can I give you a yes. story? Because you got a lot of young listeners, yep. right? Yep. So in my single year in law, I was at a downtown Toronto firm, and um, I didn't know all the stuff I wrote about in, in At Your Best. But let this be a cautionary tale for young leaders. So I had a guy who was ahead of me. He was a good friend. His name was Bruce. And uh, we went to law school together. We became really good friends. And I had seen him not play the downtown Toronto, like imagine Wall Street firm culture that so many leaders have. There were some law firms in Toronto that actually had cots and chefs that they hired. So a cot, so you didn't have to go home. You could sleep at the law firm. And a chef, so you didn't have to leave the office. You could actually just eat your meal at your desk and keep working. And he said, I'm not going to play that game. And he didn't get fired. So I come in. I'm like 26, 27 years old. Uh, I'm newly married. My wife is expecting. I knew halfway through this year I was going to become a dad. Uh, I was going to seminary that fall, like a year later. And they knew that. I was transparent. I'm like, I'm only giving you a year, but I'll give you a great year. And they knew that my plan was to go to seminary, and they hired me anyway. So I thought, am I going to play the game? So there were two students at the firm that year, me and another guy. The other guy played the downtown Toronto game. He worked 12 hours a day. Um, he worked almost every weekend. He worked a lot of evenings. And so he's putting in 70, 80, 90 hours in a week. I said, I'm not going to play that game. I got up early. I was usually on the bus to head to the office at 7 a.m. I'd get in at 7.30 before almost anybody else was there. I would work really hard, really zoned in. They put me in court almost every day, so that was a lot of fun. I would go into court. And I would sneak out at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The lawyers would all stay, but all the legal assistants, they would sneak out at 4, 4.30. I would kind of slip out with them, and nobody ever called me on it. Unless I was out of town, I never worked an evening. I didn't do a single Saturday or Sunday. And, of course, it was the 90s, so you couldn't really, late 90s, you couldn't really have, like, you didn't have a phone to do your work on at the time. You had to bring a file home. It was like a manila file. You had to bring it home. So I brought that, I think, maybe three times, but never worked a weekend. At the end of the year, what do you think happened? I'm assume that he was extremely stressed and burnt out. You had great juice and energy. You probably got more done, were more productive on less time. So they fired him. Oh, and they fired him. Okay. They fired him. They you. took me out for lunch. Oof. And they said, how much money do you need to make to skip ministry and stay here? You're the only student in the history of this firm that has made the firm money. I made them over $100,000. And it wow. wasn't because I didn't make that. I made them that money. <laughs> but um, it wasn't because I worked more hours. It was because when I showed up, I was rested. Because mm. when, when I showed up, like I was focused. I was, I was shocked at how unprepared some of the lawyers who had 5, 10 years on me were when we showed up in court. They didn't even know their client's name. They'd be like, uh, I'm here with... Uh, uh, Dr. Nurse, sorry, Mr. Nurse, uh, <laughs> representing, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. And I'm like, you don't even know your client's name. Like I had prepped for that the day before I was in early so that when court started at nine or 10 AM, I was ready with the, the facts of my case. And I won all but two cases that year. And that was simply better prep in less time. So it's, it's now, had I remembered that in my 30s, I might not have burned out. But I got caught in the stress spiral like everybody else did, David, and it just about killed me. Mm. So anyway, that's just encouragement to young leaders. 
You don't have to play the game. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say, oh, yeah, I just, you know, came, came into work, goofed off, was on Instagram all day, wasn't paying attention, <laughs> went for a long lunch, then went home to my wife, and they offered me a promotion. It's like, no, those eight or nine hours I put in at the office, I hustled. My, like, I hustled. Yeah. I worked really hard. I focused. I studied the case law. I got ready for court. And then I turned the switch off, and I went home. And you can do that. Like, that is... Anybody who's written a book and you've written a book, like, can you write quality words for like 12 or 14 hours in a day? David? No chance. No chance at all. No. How many, how many good words a day do you have? In you know what I do? As an you know what I do? I book out what? an hour. No, I don't. When I'm writing, I book out an hour and I'll just write. And whatever I get out of that, whether I'm feeling it, whether it's two, two pages of great stuff or it's two words, I'm content with it. But I know I have that hour that I'm going to take steps forward to. And more often than not, it's two words instead of two pages. <laughs> See, that's so smart because I think we're tempted to think we're robots and we can just produce, produce, yeah. produce. The best authors I know, authors who have sold millions of copies of their book, would say that a thousand good words is a really good day. 500 good words is a really good day. And these are New York Times bestselling authors. It's like you, you are not programmed to be on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Carrie. You know what? I, I got to brag on you for a second because you live what you preach. Like I messed up the time zones on our original podcast and it was past four o'clock Eastern time. And you're like, no, I can't do it. I'm sorry, which I respect the heck out of that because we have so many. <laughs> I know you have so many. I have so many. We all have so many people wanting our time, but our time, we don't have to feel like we have to give it to everybody. That's the most precious asset right. we have. And I honestly... Like, well, you're special because my team squeezed you in two days later. <laughs> know, so you need to know that, okay? I am, yes. But it's, it's the, the hustle and bustle everybody thinks that we have to have. And like I, I respect people much more when they say, you know what? I have no time because I'm going to spend it with my wife. I'm going to spend it with my kids instead of the people that go to try to take one more meeting, one more, one more. You know what's crazy, though? I'll tell you what happened that day is I did have meetings going a little bit late because I was back to back and it's book launch season. And then I had a guy coming to my property to cut down trees. So I could have blown that off and done the podcast. However, I realized it was going to impact my neighbors and I wanted to be there for my neighbors that night. So I chose to be there for my neighbors. Glad you did, man. I'm glad you did. Okay. In our limited time, because I want to be respectful of your time and the gift that you gave me to have you on here. Let's talk about the zones real quick so people can take some, some mm -hmm. realize, okay, how do I get in my zones? And I know you have something, uh, an activity, uh, which I love to have actionable tools that you can actually find your zones. Because it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to actually know how to do it. So can you give the audience just a, a quick version on how they can figure out their zones? So anybody who orders the book or pre-orders the book can go to atyourbesttoday.com and get like downloads on almost everything we're going to talk about that's super practical, including figuring out your energy clock. So your energy clock, what I realized on the other side of burnout is kind of you and I have been talking about it. We only have three to five productive hours a day and science now confirms that. So mine happened in the morning. If, if you had to look at your peak hours in the day, do you know when they would be? Like when you're at your best, when you're producing your best work, you're in the flow, very few errors. You're like, oh, I feel like this is like what I'm created to do. What, what are your peak hours in the totally. day? Totally. I'm, I'm a big optimization guy. I know my chronotype. I am in the morning for sure. I'm 7 a.m. In the morning. Do you have particular hours? Yep. Like 5 a.m., 7 a.m.? 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. is my wheelhouse. After that, that is my okay. focus time. 
And then it's more of like, okay, now I, I've already prepped. I've already done all this stuff. Now I can kind of cruise for a little while. Not saying this is a cruise time right now. But then after like no, no, no. after 2 p.m., Carrie, don't like don't ask me to do something that's meaningful because don't even talk to me. Yeah. Right. Mm-mm, seriously. <laughs> OK, so you just identified two zones, actually all three. Your green zone would be 7 to 10 a.m. On a really good day, you might be able to stretch it from six if you're up early or till 11. Right. But seven to 10 is your green zone. Your red zone would probably be two to four, which is very typical for a lot of leaders. You're just kind of tired, half brain dead, minus four to six in the afternoon. And then um, everything in between on your workday is yellow. You're neither at your best nor at your worst. So start thinking of your day in green, yellow, and red zones. And then here's the secret that made such a big difference for me. And this it's a little bit like what I did in law and didn't even realize I was doing it. And then I forgot it for a decade and almost killed myself. So, you know, came back later in life. But, but when I'm writing well, think about your most important work. So I am a writer these days and a podcaster. That's mostly what I do. And I'm a speaker. I do a lot of speaking at businesses and, and church events and so on and so forth. Um, so what I really do is produce content. And that is my most important stuff. If I start producing crappy content, bad interviews for my podcast, uh, you know, I'm not prepped adequately. I'm interviewing some really, really big guests and like, like you, David. And when, when I'm not prepped for that, it starts to show. So I do my show prep in my green zone. I write new articles for my website in my green zone. I uh, write new talks. I work on books. I edit things. I plan strategy and vision and do deep problem solving in my green zone. So that for me is in the morning before 11 a.m. And then in my yellow zone, ironically, even though the podcast is probably what I'm best known for, we're at like pushing 20 million downloads on that show. I do the interviewing in my yellow zone because it doesn't require my best energy. I just need to be focused. I need to be present. And if I've done all that prep when I'm sharp, that lives in you and you remember it and you have a few notes in front of you. Then in my red zone, I do the least important things. I'll answer a few emails. I'll fill out an expense report. I'll go through some administration. I'll check Slack. And then I'm, or I'll go for a bike ride or I'll mow the lawn or something like that because, or I'll take a nap because I'm tired. And what I've discovered, and I think what your listeners will discover is that you, you know, ask yourself what moves the needle in your work. So I knew when I was in law, if I actually won a case or if I gave our client the best day in court, that was success for the law firm and ultimately for the client. So I knew what I had to do was I had to get a win. And that year, I I won all but two cases. One I botched, and the other I think was unwinnable. Uh, Another tip to leaders who are starting out, what do you do when you screw something up? We had one lawyer at the firm who was just famous. It was sport for him to rip students to shreds, hated students. And so I came in, and everyone's looking at me. The assistants are looking at me going, how'd it go? I'm like, we lost. And they're like, you're dead. And so I went into John's office and uh, I'm like, what do I say? Cause I lost. So I just walked in I said, John, we lost today. That's on me. I wasn't prepared. I blew it. I'm sorry. It'll never happen again. You know what he did? He was so shocked. He just stood there in silence for a second. And he goes, okay, <laughs> don't do it again. Bye. That was it. That was the end of it because I took the consequences, right? 
as opposed to, well, the client wasn't or the judge wasn't or, you know, the court wasn't. It was like, no, it's my fault. So own your mistakes. Anyway, I don't know where we were. But what you want to do is you want to prep for those cases in your green zone. So what is it that your boss loves to see you do if you're not the boss? You know, if you close X number of deals, if you create a whole bunch of new leads, if you write that beautiful code, if you design that stunning website, if you fix the problem everyone is struggling with, that moves the needle on your mission. When I was leading a church full time, it was, I need to preach well, have a crystal clear vision and keep the senior staff and team aligned. If we're healthy at the top, we're healthy at the bottom. If we're unhealthy at the top, we're unhealthy at the bottom. If I did those three things, the church went great. If I took my eye off those things, we were in the ditch. And so I did those in my green zone. When that started to happen, that's when you start to see disproportionate returns. Mm, mm, Carrie, see, this is just a tip of the iceberg of what is in the book at your best. Trust me. Like there's the, the 150 people circle. I love that concept. I'd love to dive more into that. Oh, so, do you want to go there for young leaders? That'd be fun. Let's go there and we'll, we'll wrap it up after this. We'll, we'll touch on that. And then I'm just going to leave it as a teaser, guys. This is just like literally, this is about 5% of the gold that's in this book. I'm not just saying this to hype this book and we're going to give, Carrie, we're going to give the first five people that send a message on Instagram that they that they love this podcast, we're sending out a free book to them to provide value. But yes, love touch it. on the 150 people circle. Um, so 150 people, and this is weird, for digital natives. So most of the people listening to this are somewhat digital natives or digital natives. There was a British evolutionary psychologist, Robin Dunbar. He coined something that's now known as Dunbar's Number who makes the argument that human beings are hardwired for 150 relationships. From a faith perspective, you could say we were created or designed for 150 human relationships. He gets there by going back to the size of medieval villages in Europe, generally no more than 150 people. He goes to how the Roman army was organized into companies and divisions, no more than 150 people. Then he starts like, look at the average church size in America less than 200 people. 85% of all churches are 200 people or fewer. Then he breaks it down and says, there's a smaller circle in those relationships. That's about 12 to 15. He said 12 to 15 of those 150 are people that are friends, like genuine friends. You know their name, their dog's name, you know their spouse's name, you know where they went to vacation, you know their favorite food when you go out eating, you know who they cheer for in sports. Like they're like genuine, legit friends that you probably see on average once a month. And then inside at the the center of the circle are three to five people who he calls best friends. And he said, those are the people who know everything about you, your struggles, they know you inside out, They know your fears and your insecurity. And he argues that those limits are hard set. So if you're a Christian, think about this. Jesus had hundreds of disciples. Then he had 70. Then he had 12. And inside the 12, he had how many? Three. Yeah, three close. Crazy. He goes, that's how human beings are designed. That's how we're hardwired. And he said, you do not have the capacity for more. So think about it. You probably had three to five really close friends in elementary. Were they the same in high school? No. Uh, Were they the same in college? No. Are they the same in your 20s? No. But what happens is the number stays static, but the players switch. Wow. That's my... So, you know, Josh, who was your best friend in eighth grade, may not be your best friend now, but another person has come into that circle to replace Josh. And he said, that is a hardwired limit. 
12 to 15 is a hardwired limit, and 150 is a hardwired limit. So why do so many people see, feel stressed out? 70% of people in their 20s and 30s say they've experienced some form of burnout in the last year, according to the American Psychological Association, Psychiatric Association. I'll have to look at my notes to get an exact quote on that stat. But anyway, you know what's interesting? Some of that, I think, is relational burnout. Because yeah. anybody who looks at their phone right now, count them up, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter, Facebook, if anyone's still on Facebook, <laughs> how many friends do you have? Guaranteed. It's over 150. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. So guess what? You're not wired for that kind of relationship. You don't, you don't. And now all those people, digital is flat, right? In a medieval village, it was like there was John the blacksmith and there was Clyde the baker. And you would know Clyde and you would know John and you know Gina who made the best pies or whatever it happened to be. And they wouldn't all be at your door at once because maybe you get three knocks at the door in the course of a day at a medieval village. That's all you get. Now you get three knocks a minute in text messages, emails, direct messages, all of that stuff. That's one of the reasons we're melting down. And what we haven't figured out is how to handle that. So what I recommend in my book, there's a whole strategy. It's yeah. like, Write down your three to five, write down your 12 to 15, and then the depth of relationship should determine the depth and speed of your response. Because here's how most people are relating, right? When your mom texts you and asks you a question, that should receive more of your attention than the person you haven't talked to from high school who wants you to support their charity run. You probably don't need to get back to your buddy in high school. He's not even one of your 150. But your mom, she needs your attention. And what happens to most of us is mom gets ignored or your kids get ignored or your wife gets ignored because you're so busy doing all these 5K runs from people you don't even remember who they were. And now they all have access to you. Carrie, that was one of the most powerful segments I've ever had on this podcast because you are speaking directly hmm. to me. In the business of relationships, cultivating relationships, I feel overwhelmed that I can't stay in touch with the people I want to stay in touch with. You're right. We don't have to feel that pressure, that weight on our sh shoulders. Mm. Man, I'm listening to this. I'm running this back like five, six times. And everybody listening out there, please do. And please, please get Carrie's book as well. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Carrie, as we wind down here, and we would love to have you back on this podcast to dive even deeper on you something. Bet. This is so good. And so, like, not just so good, but just so, like, we need it. In a society that has so much noise, we need to be able to clear through this clutter. And you do a fantastic job teaching people how to do this. So, Carrie, how can we all follow you, support you, stalk you, buy the book, everything Carrie Newhoff? Well, what you can do, you can go to CarrieNewhoff.com, and you don't need to. But you could if you wanted to. If you misspell my name, which is very easy to it do. Easy Only my to. family knows how to spell it. Uh, you'll probably still find it anyway. So mangle it however you want. You'll end up at CarrieNewhoff.com. If you want stuff on the book, it's available widely anywhere books are sold. And then um, what you can do is also check it out at atyourbesttoday.com. Remember the today part, but atyourbesttoday.com. All kinds of free resources that come with the book as well because we want to help you live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow so that you can win at work and crush it at home and still go for a bike ride, a run, hang out with your friends, cheer for your team, whatever you want to do, that your life doesn't become overwhelming. Carrie, I love it. And like I said, we're going to send out five first five people that message this on Instagram, post this. I'm going to be sending this to just a lot of friends and family too because it's something that, that people in our space and every space really need. And the last question I have for you before we let you off the Pivot and Go podcast, if you had one piece of drop the mic 
drop the mic advice. It can be just a one word or a one line for someone who feels stuck in the situation that they're in currently to be able to make a small pivot and go. Well, I would say time off won't heal you because the problem is how you're spending your time. Mm. If you're exhausted and you're living for Christmas break, you know, summer break, it's not going to heal you. Problem is how you're spending your time on. So figure out how you live day to day and your life will change. Boom. Love it. Drop the mic. Carrie Newoff, you are an absolute light, man, in my life and just being able to to meet you and call you a friend, but in so many people's lives you're impacting. Thank you so much for your time. And man, any way that we can ever serve you, my audience, myself, all in, man. All in. Can't well, it's been a joy to be with you. Thanks so much. And hey, hey, Roots. Hey, Roots. Let's go hey, Roots. Toronto. Go Roots. Maple syrup, eh? All right, Carrie. We the North. <laughs> See you, man. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks, man. End of the road, just pivot and go. Just pivot and go.